Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. In this episode, a recap of what else? The Smart Kitchen Summit with Frank D'Andrea of Data Labs. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. Finally catching my breath. A full week after the conference I put on, the Smart Kitchen Summit, having time to record a podcast. And I have a few more that I've lined up. I have a good one that I will publish on Monday. I just did a call today with a company that is announcing a new product, interesting product, and a company that you've probably heard of. So stay tuned for that. We'll publish that on Monday. Because I have been kind of winding down and uh, from the Smart Kitchen Summit and kind of getting back and paying attention to the other parts of the business, uh, I have some great stuff that we have in store. But I wanted to first just catch up with one of the attendees of the conference, uh, a guy named Frank D'Andrea, who is the CTO of Data Labs. He was actually at the conference. And so this podcast is a little bit different. We talk about the conference. So if you're interested in that, uh, great. I will be doing a news catch-up on the Smart Home News uh, in the in the next couple days or so, so stay tuned for that. That won't be for this podcast. This one's just mainly me uh, and Frank chatting, catching up on you know, getting his opinion from someone who, uh, from the perspective of someone who attended the event, uh, and just hearing a little bit about what he had to say. For those of you who were, were there, you might appreciate that. For those of you who weren't, you may also appreciate that as well. Uh, getting a perspective about about the summit. We actually have most of the videos. If you do want to kind of hear from folks. Uh, about the Smart Kitchen Summit. We actually have all the videos online. And I have all the audio files. I won't be publishing those as individual podcasts because I don't want to overwhelm anyone with a bunch of podcasts about this single topic. But if you want to listen to those, I will eventually have those uh, at the smartkitchensummit.com backslash show site. Uh, you can find those there. And also on the Smart Kitchen Show SoundCloud account, you can find those there as well. But they won't be released over RSS because, like I said, that's about 10 – that's actually about 17 different interviews, and that's a lot. For, but for people who want to go deep dive on that, they can go to the website and listen to those. A quick editorial note for this podcast. We were having a little bit of issues with the mic, and I was able to get some of the little clicks out. But for some reason, that's something I couldn't get all of them out. That is not a regular ongoing issue, so apologize for that in advance. It's not too bad, but just wanted to make a note of it. As always, if you want to listen to more Smart Home Shows, go to technology.fm, go to smarthomeshow.com, or just find us in your podcast app. You can just find us, search for those. If you're not already subscribed, check us out, listen to more, and give us a vote on a ranking over on iTunes, why don't you? Well, that's it. Like I said, I'm getting back to business, uh, cranking out the content. We will have more podcasts here now that I'm back to my regular scheduled programming. But first, here's a conversation with Frank D'Andrea of Data Labs. I just came off a grueling couple months putting on a conference. And Frank, I, I, so a word of professional advice, if you haven't done it, don't put on a conference. It's very tiring. Um, but uh, you were actually at the, the conference. And first of all, let me thank you for coming to the Smart Kitchen Summit. Yeah, it was my pleasure to be there. And, and uh, yeah, I had a terrific time at the event. And what I want to do, because we, we got to chatting, um, we have some mutual friends. Uh, you're friends with my good friend, Serge Patel. You're down there in Portland. But, right. you know, you were really passionate about this this topic of the smart kitchen. So I wanted to 
spend some time on the Smart Home Show, a little bit different from my normal show, just kind of interviewing you as a someone who attended the summit. And let's talk about some of the themes that emerged um, and maybe some of the, the favorite panels that you had. And maybe that will give folks a little bit of flavor uh, about this topic, the Connected Kitchen, from someone who, who thinks about it, who attended a conference recently. So you came up, um, and what, were, what was your kind of mindset? Why did you want to come to this summit? What made you excited about it? Well, I think the first thing that attracted me to, to attending was there was a great mix of existing consumer brands that maybe non-connected or non-smart kitchen consumers would be able to relate to uh, decor and Moen and, and so forth, Electrolux. And there was a great mix of the, of the old guard and the new guard, and both were kind of grappling with this with similar uh, issues and, and uh, market entry challenges, but their approach, they, their approach is, is, is somewhat different, uh, where, where you have the entrenched sort of big brands kind of stick, dipping their toes into the water to see if the IoT space and this connected uh, smart kitchen uh, uh, space has any legs underneath it. And then you have on the flip side the real lean startup uh, hungry uh, techno wizards that are coming to market with uh, uh, you know things like the Pico Brew and and, and you know the uh, Tiafora, which were which are you know and, and the these individual uh, brands that are trying to bring an, an individual uh, appliance to market that's a connected appliance. And so having that kind of tension of the old guard and the new guard talking about on the same stage the issues that we're all kind of facing as we wade into this, uh, it was a, was a delight to to see that was put together first of all, and it was in the neighborhood, uh, so I was able to get up to Seattle for that. Yeah, you know, having lived through, I guess, other technology waves, maybe in like a little bit different verticals, but under kind of the broad umbrella of, of connected home, you know, and, and you probably heard me talk about this in the opening statement. The TV space is a similar one. There's, it's, it's a, it's an analog. Um, if you look at the, the like 10 years ago, I made the point, like my opening statement, like the, the kitchen is where the TV space was 10 years ago. And you had then comments like guys like Sony and, and Panasonic making televisions. You had, you know, the guys are making these set-top boxes like Motorola, and, and you had like the broadcasters. And then you have like these new guys, like, uh, you know, a good example is like Sling, right? Who's like right. a little bit disruptive, scared people, got the lawyers all kind of up in arms. Um, you have like other disruptors uh, that emerged over the past decade, right? Netflix. I kind of feel like that was happening in the kitchen space. And I felt like, you know, why have different conferences? Because like what happens oftentimes is like, you have a conference with a bunch of the old guard and they just talking to each other in an echo chamber. I have a conference with all the new startups and they're, they're talking to each other and it's an echo chamber and like, there's like no bridge between. So why not just shortcut all that and get everyone in the same room? <laughs> sure. And I think what's, what's especially appealing to, to me and, and to data labs is that we're a startup that wants to engage with the old guard to help the old guard come on board to this new wave in this new economy that's shaping up around the internet of things and the smart kitchen space. And what's, what's interesting about the kitchen space is it seems like the bigger players, um, you know, this is, I mean, something I feel like when I'm putting this thing together and I feel like it was, it, it kind of came out in the conference, like the bigger players see that there's change afoot. Uh, and they're not resisting it. And maybe the diff the big difference with the TV space is there's a reason to resist it in the TV world because there's there's an incumbent business to protect. There's intellectual property and like you know there's this old digital you know digital dimes to kind of analog dollars that you know you heard kind of famously said by guys like Zuckerberg um, or, or Jeffrey Zucker, not 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 Zuckerberg, um, 
when you go to like a digital format, there's a real kind of maybe reduction in the overall kind of size of the pie. I don't feel like that's the case with food and kitchen. I feel like as you convert food to digital, um, there's a real opportunity there and it's not like a disruptive opportunity that like just kills an entire market. So I think like the big guys are open to embracing it. Sure. I think, I think that's true. And I think that, uh, the, the difference between the new and the old guard is that the old guard wants to approach the adoption of internet of things or, or connected appliance features as a part of their way of looking at their, their bill of materials for, and, and, and maintaining their, their margins. Uh, and so they're looking at it at a very pragmatic level, uh, not looking at it from a, a disruptor position. Uh, and then conversely, you have the, the new, the new players coming in and saying, well, we're going to, we're going to build fast and furious and then see what falls out and then test and iterate and bring something else to market in a couple of years. And, uh, that, that conservative approach versus, versus that more lean startup approach, uh, was, was really, uh, present in these conversations. You know, it's, it's funny because I was able to, participating in some of the kind of the prep calls, which, you know, are great. I love preparing for a conference and having these conversations and then hearing it on stage. And an example of that, I think it's kind of, kind of lines in well with what you're talking about old guard and kind of their entrance into this market is, you know, I remember Alejandro Pena, the, the, the president of Jardin North America, for those folks who don't know, Jardin is the company behind the Crock-Pot. You know, they've worked with Wemo and they, they have a connect to Mr. Coffee. When they, you know, they entered this market in the last couple of years, they said, we'll be kind of early innovators for a big company and we'll, we'll connect our devices. What he made very clear on the call. And then I heard him on stage say is like, they were not prepared for the deluge and the flood of the data. And I feel like for the old guard, as they move into the connected world, one of the things that I think that they aren't really, what they don't know what to do with is just, what do they do with this data and analytics? Cause it doesn't kind of plug in easily to the old world and the old model. And it's a disruptive thing for your business as you get all this data, which could be huge for your business. If you really knew what to do with it, it could be huge, but they don't know what to do with it out of, out of the gate. Right. And so I think what that, uh, what that illustrated for me was the ever increasing reliance on collaboration and partnerships that traditional brands are going to need to, to make sense of that data or to plug into analytics packages or uh, uh, marketing or monetization modules inside of a broader platform play where not only am I getting appliances that are online and pumping data about usage patterns and uh, recipes and ingredients, but also figuring out ways to contextually reach out to consumers uh, to notice the trends and behaviors that they're in a non-intrusive and, and opt-in kind of way, of course, but to take advantage of that relationship channel that's been opened up to reach back down into the consumer appliance and say, hey, we've noticed uh, uh, on the weekends during the summertime you have a preference for chicken breasts and have a foster farm, have a, have a, uh, a retailer uh, begin engaging in, in, in a in a non-intrusive way but incentivizing and marketing and and uh, sending coupons down to the app that helps consumers take advantage of this new connected feature that also uh, helps them enjoy the things that they were already enjoying by using the appliances in the first place one of my favorite panels was the one moderated by Stacy Higginbotham on de- designing consumer experiences it had um, John Mann from uh, uh, from Artifact, 
Right. It had uh, John Kessner from Super Mechanical and kind of really getting the design. And I feel like that's when, like you one you could have jumped up there and grabbed a mic and had some great <laughs> observations because I think that's the world you live to a certain degree. It um, is. And interestingly, both Johns have an aversion towards uh, uh, some some similar uh, uh, technologies entering into the connected kitchen cameras and voice control. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty interesting. I had a very narrow profile. I wanted guys named John who had aversions to those technologies on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I thought, that, I mean, I thought John Mann was really thoughtful when he talked about, you know, just kind of um, when you start to integrate these, and John Kessner as well, um, but um, just some of the comments that John made, John Mann made were really thoughtful around, you know, you have to kind of think about the downstream impacts of as you put this technology, um, it's technology. But what does it, what are the, you know, what does it mean once you put it in there and what does it do to the design experience? You can't add more complications and more steps in the process. And I think that's those, those words hopefully resonated with some of these guys coming and wanting to enter this, want to enter the space. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, I think that from those two especially, the message was clear that the heart of the design has to be a beautiful consumer experience and technology goes to the background in an unobtrusive and helpful way. And if it comes to the forefront or becomes complicated or clunky, uh, I think one of the quotes that came out of that session was that big brands have a big responsibility to get this right. And, and that what they mean by that is, is that once, once you have players like Jardin and Charbroil going into these spaces, uh, they, because they have that brand recognition across mass markets, if they do something that is heavy-handed or is not thoughtful or not beautifully designed, they have they could do more damage than good if they're not careful. You know, this is a it's kind of weird to do. It's almost meta to talk about a panel that I moderated with someone who has observed it and then talk about it. But I I was really excited about the um, the emerging technology panel because it was a it was kind of an eclectic mix where I had um, Dan from Freescale, who's, you know, they're trying to create new core technology to really reinvent how people cook at, at, a, at a fundamental level with RF, right. you know, radio technology. You also had uh, uh, Nikhil from June, who, you know, is a great technologist, has some, you know, one of the key guys developing the, the imaging technology for the the iPhone. Um, if you look at some of those patents, it has Nikhil's, Nikhil Bogol, Bogol's name on it. Um, and then you, you also had... Um, and the other panels, other panels was Indranol from Microsoft, and he had, you know, they've been doing some interesting stuff, working with some big uh, brands like, uh, like um, Miele, creating products. So, I think it was an eclectic mix. Um, but when you look at one of the questions I asked them was, when you look at the future of this connected cooking box, I really do think it's going to change over the next ten years. It's like, you know, you you might have a box that has microwave and RF and convection in it. Um, and and has cameras in it, like the June oven. When you think of the future of kind of the connected, like a cooking box, do you kind of see it really shifting over the next decade or so? I imagine it's going to. I imagine there's going to be uh, uh, an emphasis on health, an emphasis on conservation, and an emphasis on uh, awareness of what's in in the in the in the refrigeration and storage areas uh what was really interesting around that around the peripheral periphery of this conversation was uh the emphasis on the, uh the problem of food waste and how IoT and connected kitchen can help uh, alleviate uh that substantial amount of food waste that goes on so i'd be very surprised with that much brain power 
thinking about food waste as a, a, connective, a, a connective tissue across the technologies and how to eat more healthily, how to prevent there from being food waste, uh, and to have an easier experience in the kitchen. I'd be surprised if, 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 if that uh, food waste as a, a category doesn't start making its way into the mainstream. And, you know, one of the, the themes that was in that conversation, one of the topics was just the you think about supply chain. You think about, like, how you get your food into your house, it cooks, et cetera, as like a kind of a, a digital supply chain and how that becomes more connected over time. And, you know, obviously there needs to be kind of a uh, – and this is kind of borrowing a phrase from John on, on the, the design panel. Like the dashes between the different circles, you know, right. from, from prep to cook. To, to from acquiring it, you know, these things need to be better integrated. But, you know, the ultimate, like, kind of fully evolved futuristic vision of, like, like real-time, kind of just-in-time food de- delivery is, like, the, the Amazon drone deliver, dropping off the ingredients at your front door, basically anticipating your needs. And I feel like that may be super futuristic, but I think, like, that's a thing you aim for. And I think there's going to be more integration between the actual food prep the inventory you have, the cooking, and then ultimately how you buy the stuff based on kind of your behavior patterns of the past. And that could be tied into like a blue apron or a plated or whatever, but that could be, a, that's going to be a really interesting space to watch over the next 10 years. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that as, as people become more comfortable with the idea of not being in the store to buy their groceries, to, to put the burden on automation or on, a library of recipes that have been curated and culled through by others and then choosing a, a recipe that sounds appealing to you and then automatically having an order placed that will arrive in time for your next meal uh, in an efficient and, and sort of seamless way is, is going to be appealing certainly to early adopters in the next 10 years. Uh, but I think as um, more traditional ways of distributing food, uh, even, even on uh, – on the nonprofit side of the world, right? Because we, we, in our culture, we, we already have folks distributing meals door to door, uh, through different, uh, um, charitable organizations where, where people are just now thinking that Amazon Prime and home food delivery are somehow, you know, part of a big futuristic brave new world. We've actually had a, a pretty good history in the last 30 years of having the idea that people need regular deliveries of food delivered to their door and help with preparing that food probably uh, at the same time. So this idea of having meal delivery and preparation happening in an automatic, automated fashion is not a new concept. And I think that there's probably a step or two away where rather than just having these meals prepped and delivered and served in, in households for people who might be uh, uh, you know, uh, food insecure or might have uh, 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 some sort of medical condition that prevents them from preparing their own meals. I think that that sort of service model might find its way into this economy as well. I don't feel like I got an answer or we, it was, we broached the subject a little bit, um, but I don't know if we ever got the answer of, around how far we get on down the path of, of full cooking automation, like in getting kind of to spectrum again, like, you know, there is some, I did bring this up on stage. We're kind of at this phase where like now it's like a GPS level kind of control or early guidance with, with right. some of these cooking apps, and maybe some of the connected devices, you know, the, the kind of the full scale evolution would be towards like a natural robot that cooks everything for you. And I, there's actually companies working on that. Like, did you feel coming out of that? Like you got any sort of feel for how far people want to go down that path or is the industry kind of still grappling with that? 
I think industry is still grappling with that. I mean, I, I walked uh, during that conversation. I recall sketching out a, a all in one, uh, from, from frozen to refrigerated to room temperature to cook to serve kind of Rube, Gold, Rube Goldberg <laughs> machine for myself. Yeah. Uh, that, that I, <laughs> if I could have my way, I, I would prefer that something like that happened where I, where I had a, you know, some sort of automation in, involved in the, in the, in the storage and, and, and preparation and serving of food. Uh, it, that all in one device, uh, always seems to be on the edge of our imagination. Not only for uh, necessarily preparing food, but also for washing, drying, and then folding and, and pressing clothes. <laughs> we we have a tendency uh, to, when we think about automation to to link together these diff- different phases of, act, of of mundane activities. Uh, but what's interesting to me is is that when you push the subject, people begin to back off when they feel like the nostalgic activities of hearth and home. Uh, get a gap between reality and fantasy, right? There, 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 there's almost like a, a revulsion that occurs uh, with the idea that you are not in control of some things. Having watched uh, a lot of them on video, because that being in there and like kind of worrying about just like making sure the day runs, like I hadn't had a chance to enjoy everything, but right. um, I kind of gathered that a lot of people really enjoyed Janet Hayes uh, on the Selling the Smart Kitchen, the president of Williams-Sonoma. Oh, Williams-Sonoma, so yeah, yeah. So I had a chance to spend some time watching hers. I thought she was great. Um, just, just like one of her suggestions is if you're going to have someone designing your, your kind of connected device or smart kitchen, you, in addition to having like a really brilliant engineer, you want to like a 15 year old kid, because if it doesn't work with teenagers, uh, you, you might as well not even do it. And I just thought like, that's so true. Anyone who has kids knows like the kids are really kind of the ones that run the kitchen in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. And, and not only run the kitchen, uh, but, but run the orders, <laughs> the supply chain, <laughs> and ultimately what goes to waste, right? So they have the full service life cycle on that. They tell you what comes in, what stays, what goes away quickly, and what's going to linger forever. They're the ones that want a full, like, cooking, like Rosie the Cooking Robot. Like, my kids would love that. That's all we need. Oh, no doubt. I need your Rube Goldberg machine, Frank. Uh, for my- <laughs> I'll get right on that. Hey, well, this has been a lot of fun. I want you to tell people a little bit about what you do and what Data Labs does because you guys have a company that I think deals with a lot of these companies making products for the kitchen as well as the broader smart home and connected device world. Let's hear a little bit about what Data Data Labs does. Sure. So Data Labs is an end-to-end turnkey IoT platform in a box. We have a hardware module that we integrate with existing uh, appliance manufacturers' goods, uh, and then we take that uh, connection between the appliance and hook it into our SaaS platform. And part of that SaaS form, pla- SaaS platform rather, is uh, a front-end mobile native applications on iOS and Android. So you get a turnkey system that connects people's smartphones to the cloud, to the appliances, to a web portal with analytics and and dashboards and things like that. So uh, not only from the from the end user's perspective, but from our clients uh, from a B2B perspective. And so our job is to, to look out into the world and say, here are some great perennial brands that people already know and love, but they may not have the internal support or the uh, wherewithal to get into the IoT economy on their own, uh, but here's a turnkey solution like a, a Salesforce.com, where the, these folks can can subscribe to our service, integrate our hardware, and then bring their consumers uh, that they've cultivated relationships with for decades uh, and connect their products and begin a new relationship with them. 
And you guys have some pretty big brands. And I think, you know, this speaks to your presence at the Kitchen Summit, Summer Kitchen Summit. You, know, you guys work with Charbroil, for example. So uh, right. you, you guys help these big companies who want to enter in the world of connected products, smart home, help them create it using your, your technology. That's right. And so we not only approach it from a, here's our technology that, that can ride alongside your appliances, but also we help them market and brand that message uh, by, by uh, not only uh, working with them to make sure their brand identity is maintained on the mobile application side, but also if they need industrial design or product design to help reduce the complexity of their physical goods so that they're easier to use when they're integrated with an Internet of Things experience. Real quickly, you be, are you a fan of like physical dials and buttons? Because I know that John, uh, John Kestner of, of Super Mechanical loved it. And I, I feel like a lot of people who design products still like physical physical buttons. So I think there's a need for a physical interface because your internet connection goes down on occasion or your phone gets dropped in the toilet and you might still want to brew a cup of coffee. And so for the, uh, the idea that you can have an autonomous internet of things device that has a minimal physical interface, and I don't necessarily need a knob or a, or a switch, but it could just be something I have a sensor touch on that allows the, the device to do its uh, bare minimum or, or uh, a standard profile that's a quick start setting that would allow me to get up and running with just electricity uh, so that I can, I can brew a cup of coffee or roast uh, uh, some meat out in the backyard. I, I want to make sure that users have the ability to not be connected and still enjoy the products. Where can people find you guys online? Is it, it's datolabs.com. It's D-A-D-O labs.com, right? That's correct. And where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find us at Data Labs uh, on Twitter. Uh, and then um, uh, so we have some products launching this week with Charboil uh, on uh, uh, Amazon.com uh, starting on Monday. And so uh, folks can begin seeing Data-connected Charboil appliances and some other appliances uh, in the next few months coming out with other large uh, kitchen brands that want to get in the IoT game. Hey, Frank, man, thanks a lot for your time. Michael, thank you so much for speaking with me, and it was a pleasure meeting you, and, and certainly uh, keep up the work with the Smart Kitchen Summit. I had a blast. Well, that's it. I want to thank Frank for joining me, having a conversation, recapping the summit. Again, if you guys want to catch any of the videos, just go to smartkitchensummit.com, look for the video tab, and you can watch all the YouTube. All the YouTube you can possibly consume, 17 panels in their full glory. And as I said, we will eventually have all the audio if you want to consume it that way as well. You can download it onto your device, but we won't be putting it out through the, the RSS and iTunes feed because, like I said, I don't want to flood anyone with 17 uh, panels worth of, of audio because uh, that might just be too much. And I will be getting back to our regular scheduled program, not talking about Smart Kitchen on the next one. We'll be talking about Smart Home, catching up on the news, as well as next week, have an interesting conversation uh, one one of the established players that is uh, coming out with their new product. So thanks everyone for listening. My name is Mike Wolf. We'll talk to you soon.